Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, educating the investors of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? It's lovely. We we always have very little time in the morning to actually communicate before the show. So good morning, everyone. Happy weekend. Uh, we are talking. I didn't, I don't know that I came up with a really, really fun, clever name for the show today, but it's surrounding taxes. My first inclination was the intersection of taxes and finance, because we did a show last year that was the intersection of technology and finance. But I guess taxes and finance always inter- intersect. So that wasn't all that clever. So, you know, well, my thought is just taxes can be fun. You know, I promise one we're going to the- make them fun today. One of the first things that shows up when I, you know, when I search, you know, if you look, uh, you know, future tax changes, it, one of the one of the first articles that showed up was tax mageddon. I was like, oh. oh, I was like, I was like, oh, that would have been, that would have been a good, a good title. Oh, but I don't want this show to be doom and gloom, so I don't know. That sounds too doom and gloom for me. Mm. I I enjoy talking about taxes and you know, uh, sort of doing some planning surrounding that, thinking long term, taking advantage of tax bracket differential stuff like that. So let's be optimistic and rosy and fun about, about taxes and, and just give people some different things to think about when it comes to saving and investing and drawing money from their 
portfolio, bearing in mind taxes and tax brackets and, and all these things. So I'm kind of, I'm calling it taxes can be fun, I promise. Oh my goodness, I keep shaking my computer and it's shaking the video. So on that note, I thought we could start with, although Kirk, to your point, we should talk about and we will cover how tax brackets are now compared to where they've been historically and compared to where they might go in the future. Of course, that's speculation, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit. And hopefully we don't have tax Taxmageddon in our future. <laughs> so I just, I thought we could start by just explaining our tax system here in the United States, because I think it's a little bit misunderstood. Everyone seems to know that we have tax brackets, but not everyone quite understands that it's a tiered system and that you don't pay taxes all in one bracket. You're actually, most people pay taxes in multiple brackets. So pulling up 2020 tax brackets... I just Google it, actually. You can find images of these things anywhere if you want to reference. I literally just Google 2020 tax brackets. And of course, I do that every day. But, you know, one that pops up for me is a just a good visual. And it has single tax brackets and married filing joint um, for 2020. So you can find this information anywhere, of course. So we have what's called a tiered tax system. And right now we have... Hold on, my image just changed. Seven tiers, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven One, tiers in our tax system. So our tax brackets right now for 2020 go from 10 from 10% to 37%. So we have a 10, a 12, a 22, a 24, a 32, a 35, and a 37 percent tax bracket. This is federal bracket, of course. So what people should understand is that if you are in the, first of all, most people don't know what tax bracket they're in. I ask people that frequently and I rarely get an, <laughs> an answer. Most most people just, you know, kind of widening eyes and like, I have no idea. And so for example, if you are a, uh, if you're married filing jointly, and if in 2020 you have taxable income between the two of you, let's call it $200,000 taxable income. I guess we can talk about the difference between that and gross income a little bit later in the show. But if married filing joint taxable income, $200,000, you are in the 24% tax bracket. That does not mean that you're paying all of your federal taxes at 24%. You're actually paying some at 10%, some at 12, some at 22, and some at 24%. So that's a tiered or laddered tax system. So for example, we don't need to give the exact numbers, but roughly 10%, you're paying 10% taxes up to $20,000. And then from roughly 20,000 to 80,000, you're paying 12% on those dollars. And then from 80,000 to 170,000, you're paying 22% on those dollars. And then in your 20, and then you're paying 24% on roughly 170 to 200,000 of your taxable dollars. So that's a tiered system. So sometimes people, I just think that's important to note because sometimes people worry about bumping into a ne the next tax bracket. I, I And there are, you know, tax planning things that we do where we talk about bumping to the next tax bracket and things like that. And I think sometimes people worry about, oh my goodness, what if I bump from the 24 to the 32% bracket? That's an 8% jump. But what you shouldn't worry about is just be, so when you bump from one bracket to the next does not mean that all of your income is taxed at that higher bracket. It means that some of your income is taxed at that higher bracket. Most of it is taxed at several brackets below that. So don't, I don't think people should much worry about bumping into the next tax bracket. Of course, we try to plan to, you know, 
sometimes to, to keep people in certain brackets just to, you know, to, to maximize tax efficiency. But don't worry so much about earning that extra taxable dollar or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 and bumping to a bracket because it's not like all of your income all of a sudden is taxed at that higher rate. I just did a, uh, a quick calculation, although I didn't have a, I don't have anything to write down. So I was doing it partially in my head here. So if I'm not perfect on this, I apologize. But, um, you know, so you're in, in your example, you said $200,000 of taxable income. Um, yeah. and then you kind of broke it down, you know, so I tried to figure out what, you know, what is the average tax rate? Um, oh, yeah. just, just for, you know, just for information. I, so I came up with about, about nine, uh, just about uh, just shy of 20% was the average based on that. And, uh, and again, I, I, I kind of did that quickly, partly, partially in my head. So I not, be, but that sounds about right to me. Um, you know, based on it those, does. And uh, I think that's called, I think we, I think uh, accountants would call that an effective tax rate, right? So effectively in that example, all of your income would be taxed at roughly 20%, even though you're at in the 24% bracket. It makes sense that your effective or your average tax rate rate for almost everyone is actually lower than the tax rate in the bracket that you land in in that taxable year. And then I think, is it the, oh, I get a little confused, but I think it's the marginal rate that's like, if you earned another dollar, your marginal rate is what that extra dollar would be taxed at. Not to get too nerdy, but <laughs> um, but yeah, effective is like your average tax rate. Yeah, so if you're, even if you're in the 32% tax bracket, your effect, you know, depending on where you are in that bracket, your effective tax rate could be like 25% or 26%. So it's, I just think it's important for people to understand that and not worry so much about, about bumping to another bracket. And by the way, these are good problems to have, right? You bumping to higher and higher tax brackets at the end of the day is a good thing because you have more income and you do get to keep the majority of, of that income uh, again, we, we can put things into, we're going to put things into perspective here in a minute about where tax brackets are now relative to where they've been throughout history. They're actually, tax brackets are actually pretty low now compared to where they've been through history. And actually, I guess that's a good segue. So I went back and I was looking at, so I, I know, you know, I, I do reading and I, and I know that tax brackets are low now compared to where they've been in the last like half century. But I actually, today was the first time I actually went back and I sort of did some calculations regarding regarding taxable income back then, you know, future value, uh, taxable income now and where the rates fall. So it's kind of fun exercise. So I, so again, I'm following through on this promise that taxes can be fun. So I went back and I was looking at historical income, uh, income tax brackets here in the United States. And I found a website, I'm referencing a website called taxfoundation.org. And they have an article, U.S. Federal Individual Tax Rate History, going all the way back to 1862. This happens to be updated. The article I'm looking at is through 2013. Of course, we know the brackets are different now. But what I wanted to do is go back. And it's kind of cool because you can scroll through and you can see, you know, tax brackets historically have been like, you know, consistent for five or 10 or 15 years, and then we'll have a change. And then you'll see the brackets change, you know, the, the where the brackets fall, the income levels where brackets fall adjust over time. But the brackets are generally consistent for five or 10 or 15 years, and then historically they've changed. So like, for so for example, right now, again, we have a 10% bracket, wait, 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. The 10% bracket was not around until, hold on, I wrote down the year, 
I believe, 2002. So if I go back to 2002, the lowest tax bracket was 15%. Hold on. Yeah, 2004, 2000. I'm sorry. So in 2001, the lowest tax bracket was 15%. So, so that affects everyone, right? Because pretty much, so everyone is in, at least has, that has any taxable income, ha, is, does have some of their dollars taxed at the lowest bracket, right? So even if you're in a middle bracket, you have some of your dollars taxed at those lower brackets. So the 10% bracket wasn't even around until 2002. So everyone at their lowest level of income prior to so 2001 tax year and prior had had their lowest dollars taxed at 15%. So that's a 5% swing, which I guess isn't huge, but, but, but on a pretty significant amount of dollars. So like in 2001, a married couple filing jointly, the first $45,000 of taxable income was taxed at 15% and none of it was taxed at at 10%. So for, I didn't actually do that future value calculation, but can you do what's the future value of $45,000 at like two and a half percent? So we'll, yep. what is that? Like, a, I don't know, $80,000 or something like that. So, so your first tier of income previously was all taxed at 15 and then welcome to 2002. And now we have a 10% bracket. So people are getting a tax break, not on all of those dollars, but the first $12,000 back in 2001. What's the future value of 45,000 bucks? On like 18 years. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. 18 years. Uh, yeah. 70,000. So in today's dollars, 70,000 bucks. 18 years ago and you know 20 years ago people were paying 10 15% on all of those dollars but then we introduced a 10% bracket so essentially every, almost everyone was getting a tax break effective 2002 on some on their lower lower dollars and that was so, yeah and that, and that was a much bigger portion too you know back then you know you said it was on the on 40,000 so 15% was the first 42,000 they introduced the 10% bracket only on the first 12,000 bucks yep. but still that's saving people in today's dollars that's saving people on their lowest level of income, I don't know, a thousand, twelve hundred bucks in today's dollars because there's a five percent swing on some low level of income. That's not a huge swing, but I, I just that was the first time I noticed that when the ten percent bracket was introduced. And actually, I didn't go back further to see if it was, you know, maybe it was there, you know, a hundred years ago, and then it was reintroduced. I actually didn't go back that far. So then I went back and I did some calculations regarding like a married couple filing jointly and where tax brackets were twenty and forty years ago. So I went back to my year of birth, which is 1980, and I looked at what tax brackets were in 1980. So right now we have seven brackets, right? We already talked about that. In 1980, there were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I think 16 tax brackets in 1980. So right now, our brackets go from um, 10 to 37. In 1980, we had 16 of them that went from 14% to 70%. So we've talked, and, and it's crazy. There was actually one year before that where there was a 90% tax bracket for very, for people with very high levels of income, but still a 90% tax bracket. So in 1980, I just picked like a mid-range bracket to do some calculations. We can do some calculations at the higher brackets too, which is which is kind of crazy that there was a 70% bracket. So for married filing jointly in 1980, what was my example? And you can double check me on this card. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in 1980, 
a married couple filing jointly paid, I'm just going to pick one of the lower brackets, 18% taxes on taxable income up to roughly $12,000. Okay. This was 40 years ago. So if we future value that, so 18, sorry, $12,000 40 years ago at like two and a half percent inflation, I believe is something like 32,000 bucks, right? So I picked one of the lower tiers. So 40 years ago, a married couple was paying 18% taxes at the highest level, also some of it at 16%, some of it at 14% on it, what is in today's dollars, about 32,000 bucks. Today, in 2020, a married couple filing jointly that has $32,000 of taxable income is on the very low end of the 12% tax bracket. So that's a pretty big differential on a low level of income. I actually didn't do it on higher levels of income, so that would be kind of exciting to do those calculations real time. So that's a pretty big differential. And not to mention, back in two, sorry, back in 1980, if you had... Like the there were so many tax brackets, and so what happens is they're they're so tight, meaning there there's not a lot of wiggle room until the next tax bracket because there were so many of them. Yeah. So on twelve thousand bucks, you're at eighteen percent forty years ago, and and you get to over over twelve thousand bucks, you were in twenty one percent, and then there was only four thousand dollars of wiggle room until you get to twenty four, and then only four thousand dollars of wiggle room until you get to twenty eight, and so on. So it's just the brackets were so tight, and you were just bumping, bumping, bumping so easily. Of course, you know if you future value that, the brackets are a little bit wider, but still not more than six or eight thousand bucks in today's dollars before you're bumping to these, you know, twenty something brackets. And if you contrast that to where taxes tax brackets are today someone with that $32,000 of taxable income, which is the equivalent of the 18% bracket in 1980, that person's in the 12% bracket right now. And they have lots of room until until the next tax bracket, which is which is much higher at 22%. That's a 10% jump. But they can go all the way up to $80,000 of taxable income before they worry about jumping to 22%. So you'll so I've been, you know, people have been, professionals have been saying this for years that tax brackets are actually really low right now compared to where they've been throughout history. And it's just kind of fun to go back and, and do these calculations. Should we do we have a couple minutes to do one at a higher level of income? Yeah, I think let's we've got stay with three or four minutes. I think, yeah. Okay, let's stay with 1980 for a minute, and then we're going to jump forward to 2000. So we'll do 20 years ago. So back in 1980, let's. I didn't do all these. I didn't have time to do them all this morning. So back in 1980, let's pick a higher level of income. So let's say someone that had forty five thousand dollars of taxable income in 1980 so can you do a future value on that at two and a half percent for 40 years all right so forty five thousand so while you're doing that so in 1980 someone that had a married couple filing jointly that had forty five thousand dollars of taxable income is it was in the forty three percent tax bracket. 43% <laughs> federal plus state in, in many states, of course. And not only that, they were, so of course, like as we already established, they're not paying all of their taxes at 43%, but here are their tax brackets below that. 37, 32, 28, 24, 21, 18, 16, 14. So, so there's a, it's a, that's a, there's a lot of different tiers there, there, excuse me, but they're easily paying at on average over 20% on that. 
but they're in the 43% tax bracket at 40,000 bucks in 1980, a married couple. What is the future value of that? Uh, call it 120,000. So that's the equivalent of $120,000. So someone in 2020, married couple filing jointly that makes $120,000 is in the 22% tax bracket with a lot, with a decent amount of room before they're bumping to 24, which is not even close to 43%. Right. So- a big, and a big chunk of it, a big chunk of that's at the 12% rate also. A big, a big chunk of it is at the 12%. It would have been really, really super cool if we spreadsheeted all of this and did the effective rate calculation, Kirk. We'll have to be, we'll have to be more prepared for next show. But that is staggering. That is 40 years ago for, that is double the tax and probably almost double the effective tax rate, if not 150%. Um, so yeah, I mean, tax brackets right now, are historically very low. We're going to, after this break, I think we should do another calculation for 20 years ago, which was the year 2000 and where tax brackets were there. But that that is staggering to me that, at, you know, someone, a married couple filing jointly making $120,000, as you and I know, you know, in the area of the world where we live, where real estate and cost of living is higher than in many other places, that's not like you're not incredibly wealthy making that amount of money and a 43% in taxes to be taking away just federal plus state is I, I just, that's, that's crazy to me. So that's a little perspective for people. And I'll just say again, that back in 1980, not only that was, was, was someone of relatively average income for a married couple paying 43% in taxes, but above that, then we had a 49, a 54, a 59, a 64, a 68 and a 70% tax rate. So that is just crazy stuff. I guess I have to um, take a break. I was having a lot of fun. We're going to do another set of calculations. Um, just for perspective reasons, comparing tax rates now with 20 years ago. And uh, then we'll move on from there. So you're listening to McNamara on Money. Today we're talking about how taxes can be fun, we promise. Um, we're putting these things into perspective for people. And uh, we're just taking a quick break. You can find out more about us at McNamaraOnMoney.com. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. We're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, joined from afar. I love technology these days. It's so wonderful. We are talking about taxes this morning, one of my all-time favorite subjects, and we're, we're, we're promising to make them fun today. Uh, but we're talking just about tax bracket, sort of tax planning type stuff. We're going to get into tax considerations while people are saving money, tax considerations while people are drawing money out of their portfolio, and sort of all things surrounding taxes. So super fun stuff this morning. And I don't know who's calling that phone. Interesting. I think maybe the girls are spamming or are calling <laughs> from upstairs. <laughs> okay, so we we sort of started by, you know, just some background and perspective, you know, uh, understanding the tax, the tiered tax system that we have in the United States and sort of doing some um, calculations regarding where tax brackets have been historically compared to where they are now. And so we did some numbers based on tax brackets in 1980, 40 years ago. And I just wanted to do similar calculations for where they are, where they were 20 years ago. So you ready, Kirk? Because I'm yes. going to need your help doing some of these calculations. So back in the two, in the year 2000, Let's see, I think I did one calculation. So again, I'm working with um, a married couple filing jointly. And in the year 2000, 
a married couple filing jointly. In the year 2000, we only had five tax brackets, 15%, 28%, 31%, 36%, 39.6%. .6. So a married couple filing jointly with over, let's call it roughly $44,000 of taxable income were at the beginning of the 28% tax bracket. So they paid some taxes at 15% on the first 44,000, and then they're paying taxes at 28% on dollars above 44,000 and up to about 106,000. So I think I did the future value calculation on that. So 20 years ago, 28% taxes on dollars over 44,000 if you are married, that is the equivalent of about $72,000 today, 44,000, roughly the equivalent of $72,000 today. If we factored in, I think I used two and a half percent inflation, which is probably generous. Probably 2% is probably closer to what inflation has been over the last 20 years, but that would even further prove the point. So today, someone with $72,000 I have so many windows open in my computer, it's hard to jump back and forth. Okay, uh, married couple filing jointly today, taxable income $72,000 is in the 12% tax bracket. Right. So in 19, I'm sorry, in the year 2000, so just 20 years ago, not all that long ago, that married couple was paying taxes at 28% on dollars over that, that mark and 15% on dollars up to that mark. And today, that married couple, if we do a you know future value calculation, is paying taxes at just 10% on some of the dollars and just 12% on the rest of the dollars. That's a huge difference. 16%, you know, to five, you know, I guess between 5 and 16% there on those dollars is in my mind pretty huge for again, a level of income that, you know, we're not talking about incredibly wealthy or high income earners here. We're talking about like, you know, average income earners or, you know, brackets on the low end. So again, I think it's gonna be a little bit more fun if we do the calculations at higher brackets, but that one is staggering to me. So now let's do another one. That's the only calculation I was actually prepared for, Kirk. So I'm gonna need your help with math here. So let's pick someone, um, can you do $106,000? future value, what's the future value of that over 20 years? And I guess you could use a 2.2 or a 2.5% inflation. So while you're doing that- 20 years? 20 years. So married filing joint- 164,000. 164? Mm-hmm. Okay. So married filing joint 20 years ago, 106,000 bucks, you're paying taxes at 31% on dollars over that and you were paying, and dollars under that, you're paying 28% and 15% uh, broken down, about actually about half and half there. Fast forward 20 years, what did you say, 164,000? Yes. So that same married couple filing jointly, that's the equivalent about of 164,000 today, which is in the 22% bracket still. So dollars taxed at 22%, some at 12%, and some at 10%, Whereas 20 years ago, that was 31%, 28% and 15. So the, the numbers are, are pretty crazy different. I mean, taxes really right now, I, I know it may not feel like it for a lot of people, but taxes really right now are historically pretty low. These brackets are, they're, they're generous. And that was only 20 years ago. I feel like that wasn't, that's not even a long time ago. So, you know, the point of all that is 
I love to do math, but also the point is that taxes are low right now. I would speculate that they might not be in the next five, 10, 20, 30 years. You know, it, it's kind of easy to imagine them increasing, maybe not in the immediate future here where we have a divided Congress, but it's, first of all, they're going to revert back to their prior levels here and they're set to revert the current tax code is set to sunset, which means go away after the year 2025. And the prior tax code where we had, you know, 10, 15, 25, those brackets are set to come back into our life in 2026, unless there's further legislation where I would guess there would be in that period of time. So, you know, and it's just kind of easy to imagine. It's kind of hard for me to imagine tax brackets staying low for a long time because of all the debt we keep taking on you know, in in recent years, in recent months related to COVID-19 and all the stimulus that the government has been pumping out, which is great in many ways, but big picture taking on all that debt, it's just hard to imagine tax brackets not increasing in the future so that we can pay our debt. So again, that's just speculation. Actually, I haven't looked uh, recently, but before Biden was elected, you know, his tax plan was he did have a tax plan to raise taxes on higher income earners, maybe not for everyone. His plan was to raise it for higher income earners, people making over $400,000. I don't know if that was he didn't specify if that was single or, or married filing joint. But, you know, he, he was pl he's planning to try to raise taxes anyway and to be determined where that goes. But it's just kind of easy to imagine them increasing in the future. Translation, people should maybe be taking advantage of what are some pretty low tax bracket compared to history and speculating, you know, compared to where they may be in the future. So when I talk to like my younger clients, especially, you know, my 30 and 40 somethings, and we're doing, you know, 40, 50, 60 year you know, planning, then it's, you know, the, the discussion is kind of like, well, if we had to make a guess, we're assuming that tax brackets are going up in that period of time to some degree at some point. Right. So I just kind of wanted to get into, you know, what, you, you know, did you say, did you say something you shouldn't have? No, I did <laughs> not that are I'm you, aware of. Are you self-editing? Um, yeah. So I wanted to get into like, you know, for different demographics of people, things to think about, bearing in mind tax brackets just in general, but also tax brackets and how they may change in your future. Of course, something that we can't control, except for, you know, writing to your local um, congressman, right? Or, or, you know, senator. But so let's start with tax considerations while accumulating assets. And then I kind of want to talk, so talking to this demographic of people where you're in your working years and you're saving money and planning ahead for retirement. And then, you know, maybe in the, after the next break, we can get into tax considerations for people that are spending their portfolio or taking income from their portfolio and thinking about things a little bit differently. So I guess just like in general, tax considerations while you're saving money. So it's, so let's just talk about retirement plans through work, for example. So saving money you know through an employer sponsored plan like a 401k 403b 457 these are very what's the word easy uh, convenient ways for people to save money because the money comes right out of their paycheck and they never see it in their bank account so they are not tempted to spend it it's it, it's just i think it's easier for people to save in those vehicles 
because having money in your bank account and then making a conscious decision to put it somewhere else and save it, I just think it's a little bit harder because life gets in the way and temptations get in the way and, you know, dollars can easily be spent on other things when they're, when, whereas with an employer sponsored plan, they just disappear from your paycheck. They were never, it was like, it was like, it was never really your money. Right. So number one, they're super convenient. So most of those, so sort of by default and most of those employer sponsored plans, when you put money in your 401k or 403b, for the most part, anyway, the default is that you're, you're taking a tax deduction on dollars that you put in those plans, those plans. So what that means is, is you're shrinking your taxable income dollar for dollar when you put money into at least a deductible 401k, 403b, employer-sponsored plans. There's other ones like symbols for small businesses, of course. So that's like the, so sort of the default way to save money for retirement is to put money into, is to, is to put money away in this retirement plan, Mm -hmm. take the tax deduction shrink your taxable income, shrink your taxable income. And so if you think about it in, in the year that you're doing that, that makes a lot of sense, right? When you receive a tax deduction, let's say you put 10,000 bucks over the course of the year into your 401k. If you receive a tax deduction for that, you shrunk your taxable income by $10,000. So you reduced your tax burden by some measure, call it 20-ish percent, 25%, something like that. So you could have, so in other words, you saved yourself 2,000, 2,500 bucks in that example in taxes. So that really means like when you're taking these tax deductions, you end up having more money. So your ability to save money is increased because you didn't have to pay as much in taxes, right? So if you're just thinking about that one tax year that you're doing that, that makes a lot of sense, right? You're taking a tax deduction and you're shrinking your taxes due. That's great, I saved some expenses, everything's all good. But then if you fast forward to retirement, when you draw money out of those retirement plans where you took your tax deduction up front, now fast forward, you're in your retirement years, you're drawing money out, then you're paying your taxes at that time. You're always gonna pay the tax man, right? You're either gonna pay now or you're gonna pay later. When do you wanna pay? So, um, you know, in many, many situations, I think, of course, I think retirement plans and making retirement contributions are very appropriate, uh, uh, very necessary and, and very appropriate. I just, I just want people to sort of be thinking about, you know, again, if I'm going to pay the tax man at some point, does it make sense for me to pay now or later? What, you know, what's my situation? What's my cash flow? Where do I think tax brackets will be? So I, 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 the whole point of this conversation is to just maybe think about it. Is it best for you to take a deduction now and pay your taxes later? Or maybe does it make sense for you to pay some taxes now and have some tax-free income later? later? So welcome to the world of Roth IRAs and actually non-qualified accounts. We could talk about that um, a little bit, but we have these beautiful things called Roths and many 401ks and actually 403Bs, some of them allow participants to make Roth contributions, which which are contributions where you don't receive that tax deduction, but all the growth and earnings grow tax deferred and everything comes out back to you, at least under current tax code, comes back to you tax-free in retirement. So that is like, it's just the total op from a tax perspective, it's the total opposite from a deductible retirement plan. We're making a Roth contribution, you pay your taxes now, and then you're gonna get tax-free income later. So I just think it's important for people to, so number one, like in current, 
what's most appropriate for people honestly it it just depends on so many things it depends on your level of income now your tax which is like which determines your tax bracket now it depends on your cash flow it depends on you know where you think your income and earnings will go in the future what do we where do we think tax brackets will go if there's a lot of variables here that sort of come into play when we're considering what's best um, but i just think people should think about maybe taking the deduction now is not necessarily in your best interest when you're thinking about the rest of your life and is you know couple that with the fact that i just think that tax brackets are low and i think that people should probably start taking advantage of that if they haven't already pay some taxes now at what are historically some low rates and protect yourself against tax bracket increases in the future yeah i think um you know because that's obviously a question that comes up quite a bit from from folks that we talk to or meet is you know should i do the the deductible or, or the non, you know, or, or the Roth. And, you know, what it boils down to ultimately is, are you in a higher tax bracket now or in, you know, in the future uh, when you're going to take the money out of that, out of that vehicle? And that, you know, as we've just, as we've, you know, you kind of set the stage uh, in the first segment about, you know, the history of tax brackets uh, and how they've changed you know, pretty dramatically uh, over the past 20, 40 years, they, they will continue to change, right, throughout time. And, and we don't know, you know, where they're going to go going forward. But as you've said, they're relatively low now versus history. So they're they're prob- probably, I mean, I think it's a pretty safe bet, although, you know, you never want to bet on, on anything uh, like this, but that they're probably not going to go down, you know, versus where they are. So, you know, if they stay, if they stay, f- even if they stay flat, um, then you could say, then you could argue it's kind of a wash, right? Doing the traditional versus the Roth, because yeah. if you take the tax deduction now versus taking it later, if tax brackets are the same, and for, and for most folks, when they retire, you know, their their income is probably going to go down. Their income is going to change. You know, they're now they're going to be having Social Security, which is not taxed as much. You know, as their as their you know salaries, it is taxable, mm-hmm. but not as much as their salaries. You know, so everything's kind of kind of probably going to go down for most people. And so it's but you know, if tax brackets are the same and their income goes down, well then, you know, I guess that goes back to arguing against, you know, for the traditional contribution, right. you know, take take the deduction now. But if you're if you're, you know, I guess if you're a pessimist or or whatever you want to call that and you think tax brackets are going to go up, uh, which is which is quite possible, but 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 unknown. Then you could argue, you know, for doing you know doing the Roth or some kind of after-tax uh, retirement savings. And we, you know, we we are the first people to say, you know, we don't know the future. Uh, that come that not only does that apply to investment returns, but that also applies to tax brackets. And a lot of times, we'll tell people you know, why not do a little bit of both? And that way you've kind of covered all your bases. And that, you know, that gives you some, yeah, yeah, you might pay, you know, you might pay some taxes now, but but that could work to your benefit uh, in the future on, on a relative basis because of where the, where the tax, co- tax brackets b- might go. And I certainly, uh, I certainly think that that's, that's a good plan for a lot of folks. Uh, what we didn't touch on is the ability to do a Roth. Not, never, not everybody has that, has that option. So you mentioned, you know, some, you know, some, some retirement plans, their work, 401ks, uh, 403bs. And I, I think even maybe 457s have that option. I think that's, I think that's uh, oh. an option, but uh, again, not, not all 401k, it, it, 401ks are not, you know, they're not all created equal. Each 
company or employer, they they basically set up their plan and they can make you know certain certain provisions. You know they they can decide certain things. You know certain aspects, certain um, customizations, and they may or may not choose to include a Roth uh, as an option. Uh, I don't know why they wouldn't. I don't yeah, know. Which doesn't, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know that that yeah. costs any, you know, costs them anymore uh, to, to add that option. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's some administration fees for, maybe. you know, for keeping yeah. track of that, but not, not, not every 401k offers it. And so if you want to do a, if you want to do a Roth outside of a 401k, then, then there are income limitations. So, you know, it, in a 401k, uh, anybody can do a Roth. doesn't matter how much money you make. But outside of a 401k, if you want to just add money, you know, do a, do a Roth contribution, you know, each year, you are limited. Well, first of all, there's a dollar limit. If you're under 50, it's $6,000 a year. If you're over 50, you can do $7,000 a year. But your, your taxable in, or your, your modified adjusted gross income has to be below a certain threshold. And I pulled up the numbers here. So if you're married filing jointly, your modified adjusted gross income has to be less than $196,000 in order to do Mm -hmm. a Roth contribution. And there's a phase out of like 10,000 bucks where you can do a partial. Right. I think if you go all the way to 206, you can do a partial. Correct, yeah, between 196,000 and 206,000, you can do part of that Mm 6,000 or 7,000. Pro rata, yeah. And then above 206,000, you know, you can't do anything. if you're single, your modified adjusted gross income has to be less than 124,000. Yeah. Okay. So there, so there are, you know, so you're limited. So if you don't have that option through a 401k, you are limited uh, as to whether or not you can do that. And I know one other thing you mentioned was, you know, so if you if you can't do that, you know, if if you don't have a, a Roth option in your 401k, you make too much money to do a Roth outside of a 401k. You know, another option is well, you can just stick some money into a you know, an investment account, right? Um, A non-qualified account. I think you mentioned that, you know, the difference with, you know, that it's not tax sheltered, you know, so all the, all the, all the dividends and interest you have to pay taxes on, uh, on a, on a yearly basis. But, but that's another, another option to, yeah, I don't, yeah, we probably, you know, we could do some math on that as far as, you know, how much taxes you pay in that over the, over the years versus, you know, doing a traditional 401k. And that would be kind of interesting if we, (laughs) but we'd have to, that might take a little bit of time to do that. Yeah, I one time started that exercise. It was it wasn't comparing a non-qualified to a 401k, but I one time started spreadsheeting some doing some analysis regarding comparing dollars in a non-qualified account where you're paying some taxes, capital gains taxes on some, you know, paid out capital gains or or if you're making changes to the portfolio and realizing capital gains. Of course, you can use tax efficient bond positions, municipal bonds and in reduced taxes do. But I one time started a spreadsheet comparing that with putting money in an annuity, which is tax, like a non-qualified annuity, which has tax deferral. It's different from a 401k and that you, in a non-qualified annuity, you can put after-tax dollars in, but all your growth can be deferred and you can pay taxes on that later. Um, and I, you know, end result was that you had to have a pretty significant amount of money uh, tucked away in one of these accounts on the order of several, several hundreds of thousands of dollars or more um, in order for, and of course, depends on your tax bracket now and later and capital gains bracket now and later, and those are different too. But yeah, it, it seemed to me that the, the tax deferral offered in the annuity wasn't really worth it unless you are like in the highest tax bracket and capital gains bracket and you had several hundred thousands of dollars um, tucked away. But yeah, comparing that with 401k. And, you know, and, and that brings up, you know, kind of a, yeah. a cool point was, 
you know, I know, you know, your, you know, your dad, you know, who was, you know, has been doing this for a long time, you know, was putting, you know, put, putting some of his clients into those, you know, back in, back in the, you know, the eighties like and eighties and nineties yeah. when, you know, we, as we talked about, the tax brackets were so much higher. And if, you know, so he was, you know, utilizing the annuities, which certainly made some sense back then, you know, now maybe not as much because of the tax brackets, but, but back then it, it made some sense. Well, it's interesting to see that when, you know, for people that put their money into non-qualified annuities, like 30 years ago and avoided paying some income taxes on, you know, interest and things like that at high brackets. And now brackets are lower and people are taking money out of those annuities it and really paying, worked even out, though yeah. they're paying yeah. income taxes on it, the differential is so huge. Yeah. So that really, um, that strategy did make sense based on where tax brackets were then and where tax brackets are now. But I know we only have a few minutes before the break, but I kind of wanted to go through like some scenarios, like talk about different demographics of savers and talk about, you know, what might be in the best interest for them. I guess we could just start. We have two or three minutes, right? So like, for example, people, people that are in their accumulation phase of their life, you know, younger workers, I guess I'll say like the 30 and 40 somethings that maybe they're not in their highest earnings years, number one, and tax brackets are low, number two. That's a demographic of people that probably do want to take advantage of getting some money into Roths while they can. I get nervous that the Roths like won't be available for that long. I mean, they're just so wonderful. I don't know how they could be available for that long based on the the health of our, uh, of our nation and financially speaking, I mean, and you know, so I, I just kind of like, if you can get money into a Roth while you're young and you're not in your peak earnings years, likely or hopefully, right? And tax brackets are low. I think it's a great time to take advantage, especially for those people that, you know, maybe don't have Roth option available to them through an employer and they haven't yet bumped over the 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 cutoff limit for eligibility for, for getting money into Roths get some money into Roths while you can, because if your income continues to grow, you're gonna phase out of eligibility. And we wanna pump money into those so that they can work and compound over a long period of time, even if you can't add to them going forward. 